everyone. Um, I wanted to just take a few minutes to talk about some of the stuff that we are that we had to had to skip in the service yesterday. You know, there's always too much for us to go through, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time speaking about um, some of those scriptures that we either had to move through maybe too quickly. Um, or or skip over entirely we at cordova we, we we do a pretty traditional thing which is to read four scriptures every sunday we read a psalm old testament new testament and a gospel reading and um that's a very basic breakdown of these like four major sections of of scripture um there's obviously more ways to divide it up um but basically those are um those are helpful helpful divisions. Um, and so one of the things, if I can just jump in, um, one of the things that we've had to skip pretty much recently is Peter's Pentecost sermon. Um, and it jumps out because it's, it's the book of Acts, right? It's Acts chapter two. Um, and in that way, we're used to it. We're used to it at Pentecost, um, this sermon that that Peter preaches, but but here it is. It shows up in the season of Easter, and we've been reading um, little bits of it throughout the throughout the last few weeks as our Old Testament reading. And I'm that's a this is kind of a striking thing to me um, that that we would do something like that, and it sort of raises the question: Why? You know, why would we read this sermon at this time? Um, I don't fully know the answer to that, but what I do know uh, is that the center of that sermon is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. It's this um, very clear proclamation from Peter to the people who are gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. So this would have been 50 days after Easter, right? Um, and they're gathered there for this this other feast, this big liturgical festival. And Peter stands up, and each of the readings are kind of funny because they all start with the same, the last few weeks, they all start with the same half verse, right? Not even a full verse, but 14a, where it says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Um, and then it will launch into whatever section of the sermon we're supposed to read that week. This week, the, the section that we were to read was 36 through 41. It reads, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard that, so that's the punchline, right? That's the, um, Peter doesn't know he's done preaching, but he's done preaching because what it says next is 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So they get to the sort of, in preaching, we always talk about you have like this application part of the sermon, right? Which is always the end. Like, okay, now that I've told you what I just told you, let me tell you what you should do about it. They do that for Peter. Um, you know, brothers, what shall we do? We we believe what you're saying. How do we put this into practice? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's stunning. It is stunning because, I mean, remember, the gift of the Holy Spirit is only 
is what an hour old maybe if he's been preaching a long time um and yet here he is speaking clearly and openly to people about what they ought to do in response to the gospel um and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying save yourselves from this crooked generation so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3000 souls um i the center of that sermon is the crucifixion and resurrection of christ but the point of it the point of it is not is not and this is this is kind of not what we think about these things typically um the point the place where peter lands is not that jesus place that god placed all his sins on jesus all our sins on jesus and killed jesus so that our sins could be forgiven right um that is that is one important way of understanding the cross but it's actually not in the New Testament anyway, it's not the primary way. Um, but what is it that he says is right there in verse 36. Let me back it up. To 32. So Jesus is raised up in three different ways, in the way that the apostles saw things and thought about things. Because they had, they had the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. Jesus is raised up on the cross. He's lifted up above the earth. He's then lifted up from death. And then after that, he is actually lifted up to be at the right hand of the Father. And so, so look at verse 32. And when it says raised here, it's talking about the resurrection. But, but those three sort of raisings or exaltations are important. Um, we've talked a little bit about how in John, the, it's the whole passion narrative. Everything from, um, you know, it's all of Jesus' sort of suffering, death, resurrection, and exaltation. That's all what John calls his glorification. So 32 says, again, this is all in Acts 2. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, right? And that's speaking about the, the speaking in tongues, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the prophesying, the worship, everything that was happening there at Pentecost. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, that that's the point. The point for Peter, at least here at the beginning, and, and 
and again, the the sort of substitutionary atonement, the whole thing of like Jesus died for my sins, um, that will be made clear later. But where it starts is Jesus was made king, right? Jesus was made both Lord and Christ, that he was exalted in his crucifixion. And yes, it's a strange exaltation, right? It's a weird way to be lifted up as the king. And yet that's what Palm Sunday tells us. That's what the Gospels tell us, is that this was Jesus' enthronement. That's why the crown of thorns, that's why the purple robe, even though all of those things are meant to be mocking, what we discover is that in their attempt to be mocking, they're actually um, proclaiming the truth. They're actually proclaiming the truth. And it's the irony of those of those stories. You read them and you go, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They think they're making a joke. They're doing actually what Jesus needs to have done um, in two ways. The first off, they're making him suffer, thinking he's a criminal. The second off, not realizing that's, that that suffering is an atonement, is an atoning kind of suffering. The second thing that they're doing without realizing it is proclaiming him king. Both of those things are actually more true than they know. And so here is, um, here's Peter preaching about this. David didn't ascend into the heavens, and yet he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him both Lord and Christ. One of the most frequently quoted psalms in the um, in the New Testament is Psalm two, um, which is a psalm of of exaltation. Um, it's a psalm that would have been prayed and sung at the coronation of the kings. Um, and um, and over and over again, you find in the New Testament, you find this, this uh, turn toward the understanding of Jesus as king. A lot of people have written about this in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, um, trying in some ways to sort of move away from, move away from the, the, the over-focus on substitutionary atonement theology, this thing of like, well, God was really mad and he had to punch somebody. So he punched Jesus instead of me. Um, you know, and there's just such weirdness in that, um, that we maybe don't want to go into. Um, but, but the point is, and Peter's point is that he's made King, that he's made King, um, he's made King over all the earth and he's made King over all creation. And that that's a, that's a very real kingship. And so what then people ought to do is come under that kingship, right? To profess, to proclaim him as the, the real king, the true king, whether that's in the Jewish context, they're seeing him as, okay, this is the king that we've all been waiting for. This is the new David. Or if that's in the Gentile context, where instead of saying Caesar is Lord, we now say Jesus is Lord, um, where we give up on, on the earthly authorities as being of any ultimate good and power. And instead we say, hey, look, um, I'm, I'm hitching my wagon to Jesus Christ as the king. So all of that sort of happens, right? These 3,000 souls, 3,000 people are baptized. 
and they devoted themselves, it says, and this is not in the reading, um, but but it's it's important and, and it, you know, as, as these things go, it skips it next week. And so um, it's the kind of thing that I would want to talk about. And that's what this portion of the podcast is for. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In some ways, it's this kind of idyllic, utopian um, look back on... uh, on the earliest days of the church, um, you know, where everybody's just kind of in this, uh, this like wide-eyed wonder. Um, the the conflicts haven't arisen yet. The um, personalities have not clashed. You know, people haven't had their feelings hurt. Everybody's sort of like in this place together. They're doing. They're in it together. They're 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 in it to win it. They want to do this the way, the right way, all that kind of stuff. And and so there's a tendency then to write it off because of that, right? To say like, okay, yeah, well, that wasn't real because it wasn't actually like dealing with the, um, you know, it wasn't dealing with the the sort of real nitty gritty of communal life. And if you've ever lived in community, if you've lived with a family, if you've lived with roommates. Um, or if, you know, if you've lived with people who are intentionally trying to follow Christ and to, to do those things together, what you discover is that people get disappointed and they get their feelings hurt. And, and I've had my feelings hurt and you, you got stuff that you got to work through and it's, it's not easy. And yet what Acts wants to communicate, and this is not the only place that it does it, it, it wants to communicate that there is this sort of, um, freedom about our possessions and belongings a an open sort of dis, uh distributism um and and what we see is that the disciples and the apostles everybody who believes sells their possessions and belongings distributes the proceeds to all as any had need the impact and the effect of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to remove one of the impacts is to remove our sort of personal motivation um, connection identification with our stuff and we've got to learn to recognize that um, and to realize that if we're going to be following Christ, if we're going to put ourselves in his hands, if we're going to go after Jesus in, in every way, if we don't want to hold anything back, then that includes our stuff, right? Like that's not, um, that's not separate from our things, it actually shows up most clearly in our things. What do you do with what you possess? 
if you see it as something that is God's and that you're simply a steward of, that you are then able to distribute and called to distribute freely, um, then there has been a deep sort of transformation in your heart. If your job is to sort of steward things well and to distribute so that those who are most in need are the ones who are having their needs met, then that is a good, a good thing. Um, you know, I don't think that this is a place that we can go and sort of try to figure out, um, oh, were the early Christians communists or were they socialists? You know, I, I think that that's a pretty bad habit for us to get into, to try to find the, um, you know, the labels, the parties, the positions of our day, and then to go back into the New Testament and try to scrape up, um, you know, some sort of justification for for it, saying that we're the ones who are really right and everybody else is really wrong. Because you can do that anywhere, because the people who wrote these words were not thinking about capitalism or communism or socialism or free markets and that kind of thing. That was not their world, right? What is it that they're talking about? They're talking about a transformed heart that transcends all of those labels, that transcends all of those markets, that transcends um, all of those kinds of ways of understanding economics that we have. What they're seeing instead is a people who are so devoted to each other that it doesn't matter, right? Like, nobody is a capitalist in their home. Um, nobody's a capitalist when it comes to, you know, the four people who live in my house with me. And, and what Acts is trying to communicate is that, um, is that there is this level of, of openness. There is this sort of expansion of the family of God, um, where that tight community that had been gathered around Jesus, where what's mine is yours and what's yours if you're cool with it, is mine, um, you know, simply because of the love that we have for one another that Jesus is talking about all through that latter part of the Gospel of John, um, that begins and ends with verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people, right? Um, and it's it's in this, it's in this sort of glad and generous heart that, that the Lord begins to grow the church. Um, so, again, I get that in some sense that's a little bit idyllic and utopian, um, but that doesn't mean it's not real, and that doesn't mean it is, you know, less than, less than real. These are the experiences you think that First Peter is he, or that Peter is he writes his letters to the churches later on, as um, the other apostles would have had on their hearts and in their minds as they um, went about doing doing the work of ministry, doing the work of evangelism, um, communicating out to the world all that they had been going through. Okay, that's probably enough there. Let me um, let me back up here and um, so maybe just to to go even a little bit deeper into their first Peter one. This was also part of our our reading and. Um, you know, and I've spoken a little bit about this the last couple of weeks, but um, there's so much happening in First Peter. But verse 1, verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now that 
that sounds to me like somebody who preached that sermon in Acts 2 and is then coming to say, um, you know, I have this memory of what it was like to live out uh, those early days of the church uh, where we were selling everything. Everybody's heart was so pure, so, so devoted to Christ. There was this sort of um, expansion of the family of God. So having purified your souls uh, by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Right? Um, you've been born again, right? There is this sort of new life that has that has taken root in you, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Not not the kind of life that is going to Um, spring up and then die, but it's the kind of life that will never die through the living and abiding word of God. Uh, The knowledge and the truth that that what God speaks, just like in Genesis 1 and 2, when God speaks, when he breathes his life into people, um, it's not a life that easily uh, dissipates. But in fact, all life ultimately draws its source from from that life. And so uh, we ought to be we ought to be attentive and aware of those things. Um, I mean, if if I had to connect all of that, you know, I I would I'd want to put that together and just what the gospel does. Um, you know, as Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, it's it's the word, it's the scriptures that he opens up to those disciples, um, speaking honestly, speaking truthfully to them, opening up to them the words of the Old Testament so that they can see and understand. Um, the gifts that God has has put together there, but also and um, and then we see it, we see it actually walked out in that in that upper room in Emmaus. It's it's the table, it's his willingness to host. Um, even though the food's not his, the table's not his. He didn't, you know. They invite him into the room like, hey, you know, come come eat with us because don't just walk off into the night. Um, and. <laughs> Is I love I love that story. I mean, obviously, I named my child after that story, so um, you can you can see that it's had an impact on me. But um, that living and abiding word of God, and then the revelation of God's personal presence in in the table. Uh, he doesn't just describe himself sort of abstractly in this um, this way of of uh, you know. Um, He doesn't just describe himself abstractly with the words of the Old Testament pointing backwards, but he actually says, hey, this is me. I am here. Um, Let me break this bread for you. And so um, I think where I kind of wrap this up, I I don't want these things to go on too long. I know I can I can ramble. Um, But the last the last thing where I would say, hey, this is this is something that I wish we could spend more time on. This is always something I wish I could spend more time on when it comes to Luke 24 and the road to Emmaus. Um, but it's it's really key to understanding this right. And, and I forget the name of the guy that um, the first developed this, noticed this, published this, whatever, but it wasn't me. Um, but there's four... There's four sort of moves or actions that Jesus takes at that table. Um... And 
and and it's four words that show up um, not only here when he is picking up the bread in Emmaus, but it, it also shows up at the Last Supper. And um, what it is is that, and it, it shows up in First Corinthians eleven when P, when Paul is giving the Corinthians instructions on how they ought to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So there's a um, there's a real tie here. Um, that Jesus took the bread, right? So he takes it, and then he blesses it. He prays over it, um, so that it it in some sense becomes it becomes more than it is, right? It becomes more than bread, but it it is also elevated to a higher or holier purpose. Um, and then he breaks the bread, yeah, and then and then he gives it to them. And those are the moves that happen in in the Eucharist that happen in the Lord's Supper. Um, they're the moves that happen on Maundy Thursday. They're the moves that happen every Sunday as we stand at the table and preside as we, as we celebrate there, um, to take, to bless, to break, and to give. Um, and to be clear, this is not, this is not the communion meal, right? This is just bread. There's no cup. Um, Jesus doesn't even actually eat it. Uh, when he, once he gives it to them, um, it says their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So their eyes were opened, they recognized or saw him, and then as soon as they saw him, they no longer saw him. Uh, it was like in seeing, he was gone. And and there's something um, so descriptive of um, of the Christian life there. It's like as we, as soon as we see God in front of us, that's when we no longer see God. There's this this sort of split moment, this second. So, um, so that happens, but, um, but it's the taking, the the blessing, the breaking, the giving and, and why it's significant is is it doesn't only describe what it is that Jesus does to bread. In fact, it maybe most clearly describes what Jesus does to us, what he does to the church, what he does to Christians, um, which is that we've been taken out of this world, right? We've been picked up in some way. And and we're not saved on our own. None of us save ourselves. That's the whole point here. Um, and we don't, we don't save ourselves. We are given over, um, to somebody else, um, or, or sorry, by someone else. It's the Holy Spirit who saves us. It's the Holy Spirit who pulls us out of our broken life. Um, and then we are blessed. You know, the first move in the Christian life is is to be lifted up out of our own um, struggle, our own attempts to be our own king or to make somebody else king over us. And to go from saying Caesar is Lord to saying Jesus is Lord, and that's all good. And then from there, um, we don't simply uh, or easily... Uh, just walk into this life of Christ, we are blessed. Uh, we become something more than we are on our own. We're no longer just bread. We're no longer just human flesh. Uh, we're no longer just ourselves, our bodies, whatever. Um, we are made a part of the body of Christ. And because we're a part of the body of Christ, um, we're more than we were before. We are ourselves plus the blessing, plus the word of God. But that experience 
And maybe we can think about those Christians in Acts 2 as being taken and blessed. And so they're living sort of in this full blessing. Um, But then as they go out into the world, what they're going to discover is that they will be broken. And it's what we discover too as we follow Christ is that being taken and blessed is wonderful. Um, But but as we work to, as we just live our lives, we're going to try to spread that blessing in one way or another. Um, and we discover that that breaks us, uh, that we are in some sense torn in two. Maybe we're rejected by people close to us. Um, I was just listening this morning to an account of the martyrs, some of the worst uh, persecutions in the early church, those those folks were broken literally, physically. Um, many of us will be broke, as in we will give all our money away <laughs> and, um, you know, not have a whole lot left of it. Or we'll make life choices that in order to follow Christ more faithfully, we're not going to make the most of our retirement accounts, whatever. Um, so taken, blessed, broke, you know, there will be suffering. And obviously the the perfect version of this is Jesus Christ, whose body is broken on the cross, um, who actually suffers and dies, um, despite not, not deserving it. And so, so coming to Christ is in some ways a recognition that we're going to suffer without deserving to suffer. Um, that we will bear in our bodies, the marks, um, of someone else's salvation. And, um, that's not a bad thing. Um, it's a hard thing. That's <laughs> not a bad thing. And finally, we are given, and that's that's part of what we're talking about here, is that we are given to the world. Um, we are given to those around us. We are given to our communities, to our neighborhoods. We are given to our churches. Um, we're given to our neighbors. We are poured out um, on behalf of others. Um, our lives are no longer for ourselves, but instead we live our lives uh, for the sake of the world. And um, and that is, that's a description of our life. Um, it's also this really wonderful description of worship. And, and I wonder if it might be worth thinking about worship in exactly these, um, these ways. That as we come to the word, as we come to the table, that we are taken out of the world, right? We leave where we are, Right now, that's by turning on a screen and hitting play, um, you know, or, or maybe it's by opening up a podcast and hitting play. And, you know, ideally, it's always that we gather together, that we come into physical presence with physical proximity with one another. In some ways, we we enter a building sort of like we're being breathed in. And then we're blessed. Hopefully, the service is a blessing. Um through the reading of scripture, through the proclamation of the gospel, through uh, the encouragement of brothers and sisters, the singing of good and holy songs, we are blessed. We are made more than we are simply on our own. Um, and then as we come to the word, as we come to uh, the scriptures, there ought to always be something in those scriptures that is convicting. There should always be something in preaching that um, that convicts us, that causes us to repent and confess we are broken, right? Um, same at the table. We come to the table broken, not by our own strength, not because we're so strong and so holy, not because we have done it ourselves or earned it, um, but in fact, precisely because we have not earned it. 
and we know we can't earn it is why we come and how we come to the table. So we're broken. And then the most important move we are given, not the most important move, that's silly, they're all together. Um, we are given to the world. Um, we are are breathed out. We are blessed. The benediction, the dismissal, we are sent out into the world to continue that same movement so that others might be taken, blessed, broken, and given. Um, and that ultimately we come into this into this fellowship and this communion with Christ. But the, that's what that's what that giving is. You have a purpose, a mission, a reason for being here. Uh, and so I wasn't able to get to all those things. Uh, I was not able to, to sort of dive into all that on Sunday morning and the preaching. And, um, and I always, I always hate what ends up on the cutting room floor throughout the course of the week. I hate that I have to leave stuff aside. And sometimes that's why I preach too long. Um, I decided I would uh, just put this here in the podcast, and so you can leave it on the cutting room floor for yourself, and um, we can kind of do it that way. So uh, thank you for, for being with us, and I uh, hope we get to talk to you soon. hope we get to be with you soon. Um, please do stay safe. Take care of yourself and those close to you, um, and look out for your neighbors. See how you might be able to give yourself for their on their behalf this week. Take care. Um, May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. All right, Cordova, take care. We will see you soon.